Welcome to the Unhurried Living Podcast. My name is Alan Fadling, and I invite you to listen to leadership conversations that will help you to develop healthy rhythms of rest and work and to live fuller in friendship with God. I hope this podcast will help you to overcome hurry and make time for what matters most. And now, enjoy today's episode. Hey, friends, welcome to episode 197 of the podcast. My name's Alan, and I'm so glad you've joined me here. I'm hopeful that our time together will help you rediscover the genius of Jesus' unhurried way of life and leadership. Today, I'm sharing a great conversation I had recently with my friends, Jeb Shore and John Freeman, about how our obsession with productivity impacts the level of hurry in our souls. In An Unhurried Life, I wrote a chapter titled, Productivity, Unhurried Isn't Lazy in part to speak to this tendency to make assumptions about what makes our lives productive. The irony is that my over-busyness is more often a sign of a lazy soul than it is of a productive day. Now, before we move to our conversation, if you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. If you find these episodes helpful, please follow, rate, and review, and be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Each week, we're having leadership conversations that help us lead better in the spirit of Jesus' unhurried way. Sometimes I'm talking with fellow authors, and sometimes I'm talking with leaders just like you who are learning to live and lead at the fruitful pace of grace and peace. So let's dive into my recent conversation with a couple of leaders just like you on the theme of productivity and our hurried souls. On today's Unhurried Living podcast, I'm pleased to have my friends Jeb Shore and John Freeman join me for this conversation. Uh, About a month ago, we had our first roundtable conversation, and we were talking about how anxiety has a way of being engine for hurry, at least for a lot of us. And today, we want to take a look at another very common engine for our hurried souls, our sometimes hurried souls, and that is the way we think about productivity. So the title of this episode is Productivity in Our Hurried Souls. And in an unhurried life, I asked a question along these lines. How productive is overwork anyway? My point was to say that sometimes busy does not equate with productivity. So I'm wondering if just the three of us, if we could think of some examples of how busy doesn't end up being as fruitful as we sort of thought it was going to be. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump right in, uh, Alan. The, the thing that came to my mind was the process that I sometimes use in preparing for presentations or mm. sermons. Uh, I mean, it's a terrible memory, but I, I spoke to um, some students and parents at a large Christian school in Charlotte. And right when I got up there, got up on stage and looked around, I, it just dawned on me, I had overworked <laughs> my outline, my presentation. I mean, it was the worst feeling, but I had such a sense that those folks did not need a lot of information. They needed like presence and they needed transformation. And so I think looking back on that, I just got busy and I overworked my outline. And, and I don't know if that was fear or if that was maybe just being excited and I needed to kind of back off at times, but that's, that's one thing that came to mind. 
Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, I can identify with that, that idea of over-preparing. Over like, if preparing's good, well, then more preparing, even better. Right. Right. Absolutely. And But there's this weird thing that happens for me. I wonder if it's anything like this for you, John, but that preparing ends up looking more like I'm preparing a thing instead of preparing myself. Like, right. It, will I be ready to serve these people in the way they need? Or am I trying to craft this, you know, Michelangelo-like masterpiece that will really grab them? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a bit of an obsession, I think, because in my <laughs> imagination, I'm going, going, Oh, I could say this. And I can say, it's really a, kind of an honest, I'm, I feel embarrassed to even say that. But when that engine of hurry starts to pour fuel on that, on that obsession, I, I think it can really go the other way. And then you think of like the passage, John five, where Jesus talks about, like, I really see what the father is doing. I can't do anything. You know, so to build in kind of an unhurried sort of way of, of preparing for presentations, that's, I have such a curiosity about that. Mm. Mm. Well, thank mm. you, John. Jeb, how about you? What, how does that strike you? It was a great example, John. Thank you for sharing that, because I, I could kind of go back in a couple of different situations with me in terms of speaking. But then there was also one relationally with me where I really, really wanted to connect. I was in seminary at Fuller Seminary, and I was volunteering with Athletes in Action at the University uh, of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. And I really, really wanted to make a good first impression. I mean, I really wanted them to know I am good. God is going to work through me and this is going to be great. And so after the message, and I did not give the message, but I was there, there was breaking up in this, a couple of small groups to discuss the message. And <laughs> so I was listening so intently to what they were saying. This one girl in our small groups like, um, Jeb, the way you're looking at me is kind of freaking me out. <laughs> and I'm like, I go, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do that. But it was, again, it was just like so wanted so hard to impress, to, to do the right thing, to, to, it was really overwork relationally mm, and, wow. and definitely did not, you know, I was not resting in God using me and, and, really allowing him to use me. I was trying to really manufacture it on my own. Man. Oh gosh. I, I empathize. I, I, so what I'm picturing is, you know, there's a way that sometimes we find ourselves wanting to come across just really well or really servant like, or I'll, I'll be embarrassed myself, really impressive, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And, but I think what often the unhurried invitation is, can I just be receptive? to the people right. that will cross my, can I listen well? Can I pay attention gently? Can I be there so that if Jesus wanted to say something through me or express something through me, I'd, I'd have the bandwidth to, to take that in. Yeah. And, and I love that. And it, it kind of reminds me of like what we're talking about here is something is to be given, not taken. You, you know what I mean? So it's, it's not like I've got this obsession to take it and I'm going to, uh, Versus really just providing the margin to, to even let God give in those moments, of, you know, those relational moments or the preparing. Um, and I think the unhurried way is really plays into that being receptive. Yeah, well, yeah I appreciate to me too, yeah. Alan. I was just going to say that um, a paradigm that I realized as I was preaching more and more um, in my most recent church situation 
was um was the 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 difference between praying in pre preparation versus studying in preparation and how i needed to have a really healthy healthy balance of praying as preparation and not just having my nose in commentaries and the scriptures um, yeah. and that made a huge difference for me when i was well, able to do that well i think your i think that um synergy of praying and studying doesn't just speak to pastor types preparing sermons. I think that speaks to any of us doing preparatory work of any kind in a business or yes. in a nonprofit or in an educational environment, whatever leadership context you find yourself in, there's a kind of studying preparation, which is making sure all the parts are right and in the right order and that you have enough knowledge to sort of get things right as you speak. But the prayer is about how am I attentive to God with me in the midst of this? How am I attentive to God in the setting with the others? Like it's an attentiveness to presence. And one of the ways I sometimes put that is to me, it's partly the difference between preparing a message and preparing myself. Mm -hmm. Like, am I ready to be a representative of God in this setting into which I find myself stepping? Mm -hmm. So as I was thinking about that, so I love those examples. The, the, the sad example on my side of what that overwork can look like is I've just often found myself in the last year and a half tired, like tireder than I should be based on the to-do lists or the workload that I'm carrying. And it's kind of a weariness that I think is rooted in the stress of what this year and a half has been like for any one of us. And the way that strange overwork dynamic shows up for me is my tendency to gravitate to relatively meaningless tasks to get something done, feel good about getting something done. If, if I had it written on a tablet, there'd have been a box and I could put a check mark in it. Hooray. Now the check mark makes me feel all relaxed and happy inside. And, and I've been productive. Look at me. I checked off a thing. <laughs> when in fact, there's many times where I'll gravitate to a relatively meaningless task that I could do anytime. Or I probably go easily hand off to someone else as a way of avoiding an important God-given piece of work I know I have, a way I know that, for example, I could help other people, something that's core to my calling, but I'm a little tired. And so instead of stepping in to the, the difficult task or the important task, I sort of distract myself with a relatively meaningless task. And that kind of overwork for me isn't productive at all. How do how do you snap out of that, Alan? Like when you when you sense you see you you see yourself doing that, is that is there any pain in that process of kind of getting out of that? So I think what happens is uh, God is sometimes kind enough to sort of wake me up to what I'm doing. Like this morning, for example, I was working on a, a writing project. I feel a little behind on it. So that makes me anxious. Just the being behind on it all by itself makes me anxious, let alone um, the, what I'm trying to write about. And so that anxiety provoked me enough that I stepped in and did this little accounting thing that I got to do every once in a while. It's part of my job here in Unhurried Living. But what I was able to do rather quickly is realize, yeah, I really could do this later today. Eventually, I could get someone else to do this for me. What I could do now that nobody else could do is work on this writing project and mm -hmm. reminding myself that 
my anxiety is not the last word on how this is going to turn out. Oh, that's good. Amen. So reminding myself, actually, I have a God with me who gives me generously, graciously, readily, whatever it is I need to do the good work he's entrusted me to do. So part of it is a, a, a sort of a waking up to mm. uh, a reality and and being able to sort of arrange my time so that I'm focusing on the things that I think really matter, the f- that I feel like God has most definitely given me to do it. So kind of along those same lines, in another section of that same passage of an unhurried life, um, I, I wrote these lines. I said, overwork can end up like progress made on a treadmill. Furthermore, there can be an ironic laziness about such work. The sheer quantity may be impressive, but quantity does not require as much effort from us as work that results in creativity, vitality, or joy. In that sense, overwork can be lazy work. So I'm wondering, when has busyness in our lives ended up looking really more like a, a laziness than a, an actual move toward fruitfulness or true productivity? Yeah, I think the times for me, it's when um, I, I just don't feel connected with what I'm doing. Um, mm. I, I don't feel like I'm invested in what I'm doing. I'm basically just trying, like you said, Alan, so well, just checking a box and feeling good about the check box. And then I usually don't feel like I'm working with God. I usually feel like um, there's a level of insecurity and um, and maybe a, a fear of failure in there, mm. a little dose of that. And as a result of those two things, I don't feel like really jumping forward in the ways that I think God would want me to. And so I just kind of don't trust him and rely on him and kind of kind of hold back. Mm. Um and I, I think those are some of the things that come into my life that I can look back and, and see that I've been doing some tasks, but not really stepping out in, in my giftedness in the ways that I think God would probably really want me to step out on this day in these situations. So as I listen to you, I think the thing I really appreciate about that distinction you made is there's a way that I can go through a whole work day sort of working for God. Like I'm, but, but God's somewhere else in some odd way. He's not, I mean, I'm not talking about existential reality. I'm talking about my experience and there's this weird thing that can happen. I can just go through this whole day of working and I'm a person in ministry. So there's this, this explicit way that supposedly my works about God, you know, I write books talking about what God does in our lives and things like this. But but I can end up doing that for stretches of time with little awareness that God's with me in it. So that the dynamic I'm hearing you describe is that being awake to the collaborative nature of our work, collaborating with God, co-laboring with God, that that brings some energy, that brings some good focus for us. Yes, yes. That's helpful. John, how about you? How does that intersect with your experience? Yeah, Jeb, you... You mentioned insecurity, and, and that word kind of stuck with me as you as you said it. Um, and I feel like I, I perhaps believe the illusion that I am in control of of where I produce. And so I, I think it can be very lazy to just focus on one thing because what I'm doing is <laughs> I'm neglecting 
other things that I honestly don't feel super confident or secure in to move towards. Um, and, and that could even be writing. It could be accounting. It could, you know, things that a nonprofit re- requires. Um, but, but I, you know, it just hit me. I, I think that that's an illusion to, to think that, oh, I, I control where I am most productive. And, and I think that, again, requires me to build in margin and space uh, to really discern, you know, discern where my next step might be in, in being productive. But it does. It, it seems really lazy for me to just avoid all the things I should be doing. And then those things mount up and they catch up with me. And I wish I'd equaled out, you know, the, the time there. So mm. yeah, insecurity, it just, it feels like it, it, it doesn't help us. It feels like we're compensating in our productivity. Yeah. So as I'm listening to you there, I think one of the things that we, we do have a hard time recognizing, I think your way of talking about having control over you know, what our lives produce. Uh, maybe a way to say that is most of the productivity in our lives that matters the most is somewhat indirect. Like if you didn't know how trees worked and how orchards works, you would think it was kind of dumb for a farmer to have a hose pouring water on dirt. Like, why would you do that? Why are you pouring water on dirt? How productive can that be? Well, it's because you are only thinking directly. You're making mud. That's all you're doing. But no, the farmer knows, let me explain. This is how trees work. This is how orchards work. If this tree doesn't get enough water, it will not have the abundance necessary to do what it was designed to do, which is be very fruitful. Mm. Like putting a shovel full of manure next to the trunk of a tree. Why are you doing that? What are you producing there? What a mess. You're just making a mess. Like, again, I'm being facetious and silly about it, but it's like, To me, it illustrates that so much of the best fruit my life produces is very much indirect. And the question becomes, what am I doing in the rhythm of my hours and days and weeks that are making sure that the tree of my life is good, that the soil of my life is fertile, that who I am is able to produce the good fruit in the tasks that I do? So I always think that that's an important component of recognizing what true productivity is. For example, I could have an appointment with a person. I could get all the things that I wanted to get done with that person done, and I could move to the next meeting. But if I'm in the right frame of mind, I might also be able to express to that person my care for them, encourage them, and and express gratitude for who they are. I might be able to give them something on top of finishing up the tasks that we planned to do because we had an hour together. Like the quality of what gets produced in our time changes based on who we are. So I think, you know, that to me has been really important. But the last thing I'll say before we move to the next uh, conversation point is Jen and I both in this season have been asking ourselves, what kind of space with God do we need in our days, in our weeks, in our months? to do the work God's invited us to do as well as God wants us to do it. And we've realized we needed a little more space than we'd been making for ourselves. Now, to one person's ear, that sounds like a math problem. More rest means less work. More space for God means less work. All I can say to you is, I do much better work as a rested person than I do as an exhausted person. And I do much better work as a person awake to God's presence than I do a person running past God, getting lots of things done. So uh, 
Yeah. So, so Alan, with that, I'm curious, what about the person that may be saying to themselves, well, I, man, I just don't have the time. I, I, I don't have the margin to go and, and live out more a contemplative life to, to really help us, you know, uh, not be overproductive. What do you, what do you say to that? Well, the first thing I say is I empathize. I mean, I really do. Um, we have been working at this way of living for a long time. It's a little by little by little. We've rearranged our days and our weeks and our months to make space like that for ourselves. So if you're just starting out, I think the first thing that I want to say is uh, something Dallas always used to say, uh, which was, you know, really, you have all the time you need to do all that God's given you to do. Mm. That's that's a belief thing. Now, you can take that to your packed schedule as a young mom or dad with kids in school and in extracurricular activities and all the other things. Absolutely. What I want to say is, are there some ways that you're using time that you could rescue for space with God? Um, if you were, for example, to cut the amount of time you spend on your smartphone in half, what might you do with those moments? Uh, there, there may be ways when we feel overwhelmed and anxious that we're using time in a way that just doesn't help us much. Mm. Uh, and, and I, so I don't mean to say that in any kind of a, you know, judgmental way. I'm just, when we're tired, you know, fatigue makes us fearful and it makes us then try to be controlling or try to, yeah. you know, anyway. So I just think start small, do what you can rescue some little moments. Yeah. Spend an evening with the television off instead of on. Uh, spend the first hour of your morning letting your phone rest and doing something that refreshes your soul. And maybe it's not an hour. Maybe it's 10 minutes. But there's just little rhythms that little by little, like planting a seed and watering it, could begin to grow some space in your life for noticing God with you in the midst of everything. So thanks for that, John. Uh, that. Uh, that reflection. So one other line from this same chapter that we've been sort of talking about from an unhurried life said, um, I had this line, I said, good work grows best in the soil of good rest. Um, so this seems to me to be the best, you know, sequence, my, my overwork has a kind of hollow and unrooted quality to it. So I wonder if you can reflect on ways that you've noticed that your best work actually grows in the soil of good rest, whatever good rest means for you in that situation. Yeah, I think if I were to pick up that that example of pre preparing for for a talk or presentation, I, I, I think there there's a, you know even even that idea of a seed being buried or like you're talking about soil, uh, death in a way. Is, is part of the process. So, so if there's kind of like this death-like uh, approach of just releasing it, saying no to my ego and just providing more, more margin to really kind of sit with something, but hold it lightly in God's presence. I think that that feels really important for me. And I think the little I've experienced that has brought about both rest for my soul and actual meaningful fruit for, for different talks that may be more simple um, but yeah, I think, I think what I'm saying is it feels death-like to hold something lightly. My mm -hmm. ego doesn't like that. You know, I got to jump in and be obsessive. So 
that death-like approach, I think, sets me up to experience resurrection and, and hope and life in whatever I may be preparing. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, one of the things I, I've often thought is, uh, you know, we we have an understanding of the world, this gospel of ours, that is rooted in resurrection. Yeah. But you can't have any resurrection if you don't have some death. That's right. It just, it doesn't work that way. You can have just life. That's one thing. But if you'd like some resurrection, that eternal quality of life, that forever kind of quality of life, it's going to grow out of the soil of some form of death. And death sounds pretty like, oh my goodness, this is like big stuff. But really, it's just sort of saying, you know, I have preferences. I have, I have, I feel like it's, and I don't feel like it's. And those things don't actually lead me to life. So to use your, your phrase, to use a biblical phrase, to put those to death, to say no to them in a, in a rather final sort of way, in a decisive sort of way, is a pathway to then being able to realize the invitations that God's extending and say a simple but hearty yes to those. Hmm. And then that what that does for the quality of who I'm becoming as I do the work that I do really does make all the difference. So Jeb, how about you? Yeah, so I was thinking about I was thinking about what it's like to serve to work when I do have good rest. And I mm -hmm. think the characteristics that come to mind for me are I feel like I'm more patient mm -hmm. um, if I'm rushed, if I'm hurried, if I'm uh, lacking rest. I feel like I'm very impatient and like I, I just got to get this done. I got to get this done. Come on, Lord, give me some ideas right now, right this second, please. Um, rather than really going more at the Lord's pace and trusting him, uh, my creativity is much, much better. Mm -hmm. I have fresh ideas, fresh thinking, um, but it does come at a pace that requires rest and it requires trust. And I think that rest and trust really go hand in hand in my mind as I think about really quality rest is, is uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm anxious for nothing. I'm really resting in him, uh, whether my eyes are closed or not. Yeah. So I think maybe it'd be good to just clarify. I think at least some listeners would hear the word rest and in their head, they're probably picturing physical like sleep and, you know, not, you, you did mention anxiety. So there's the, mm -hmm. the rest that comes rooted in trust instead of being yeah. driven by anxiety or yeah. I think along the way we've talked about maybe our tendency to play to the crowd. Like, does everybody like me? Uh, is everybody happy with what I'm doing? And so the restlessness of making sure everybody's impressed or satisfied with my performance. So there's there's a lot of forms that restlessness takes. And so when we say good work grows best in the soil of good rest, we're talking about a soul that's more at peace than anxious, uh, that's more confident in in God's love for us than insecure in that. In any number of other sorts of ways, so we're we're really talking about rest in a in a much bigger category than maybe just kind of physical self care and don't don't spend too many hours working every week. That's a good idea, but we're talking about something even bigger than than just that one narrow band of of rest or restlessness. Yeah. Well, the last question I thought would be good for us to interact about. I just said this in in my experience. 
there's a wise insight in Paul's self-description of how the grace of God impacted the quality of, of his work. And so I'm going to read this line. I just think it's so important when he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So the reason I think that's so important is I think there's a certain idea out there somewhere among some Christians that if you emphasize grace too much, people will sit around and do nothing. What I want to say is, actually, if you really understand the nature of grace, that it's God's empowering presence, that it's God always being generous to us so that we can live abundantly in blessing others, I just think that makes a huge huge difference that it's that grace actually energizes us energizes us for the best work of our lives so i i'm curious kind of how that intersects with your experience john how about you yeah i think very often my productive agenda is disrupted you know and and maybe that that's a grace in and of itself but i just feel like the way often i operate it just fails and and i think I would imagine that Paul probably, the Apostle Paul probably would resonate with that. I mean, that he talked the way he talked about weakness and thorns. And so I think for me, it, it really, um, I think I've realized that, that when brokenness comes, there's openness. You know, I, I, I just think that that is actually the way. So I try to get out in front of that and try to really prepare my heart for that instead of going down this road of getting obsessive and trying to over overwork something. Um, but, but I do often see how my plans are frustrated and that can be a good thing mm. because then I begin to notice that God is actually at work, that grace is actually, uh, moving in and through me. Yeah. Thanks, John. Mm. Jeff, how about you? How does that intersect with your, your experience? Yeah. Yeah. Several things come to mind. One is, um, uh, you know, my dad's memorial service, uh, was Labor Day weekend. Labor Day Monday, and he lived a full life uh, and walked with God for like the last 40, 50 years of his life. And and um, he was highly relational and um, passed away at the age of almost 92. And, and uh, it was interesting talking to um, my youth pastor as I was growing up was at the service as well. And we've kept in touch over the years. And he goes, gosh, you know, my big takeaway after that service and hearing all the people share was that so much of ministry is invisible hmm. and just how so much of it is back to your agricultural metaphors, Alan, so much of it is incremental in change and growth and productivity. Um, and, and just how it's so easy for me as I begin this role with the fellowship of Christian athletes in North Jersey, it's so easy for me to get, go like, gosh, I'm just, I want to get this thing going. I want to get this thing going, but it's highly relational. And as a result, I've got to be patient because again, back to your word, it's the grace of God is not Jeb's tasks that are going to, that are going to make the day. that are going to save the day. They're going to be eternal fruits. It's going to be the grace of God that's with me as I show that I care for this person beyond this task that I would like them to do. But I really need to be who God wants me to be in his fullness in these situations, in the midst of the tasks, and not merely getting 
A plus B equals C for that task. Mm. Yeah. yeah, man, I can. That's good. I can identify with that. I, I just think one of the one of the themes that I hear arising in this part of our conversation is, we I think we underestimate the power of presence. Mm. Like we underestimate how powerful it is to be the kind of person who's living in the presence of God, no matter what I happen to be doing or that I'm a person who's learning to be present to myself, be aware of my own anxieties, my own perfectionisms, my own insecurities, my own whatever it is. Just be awake to it. Don't run from it. Don't be run by it. But to be awake to it in the presence of grace, and then present to God, present to myself, and then just the the gifted it is to be present to another. I mean, how many times do we have the opportunity to simply give someone else the gift of our presence? Not like, wow, lucky you, you get to be with me, you know, but more so, I'm there for you. I am here for you. I am listening. I value you. I see you as someone beautifully made in the very image of God, even with your imperfections. It's an honor for me to spend a moment like this with you. Like the power of presence at the heart of the work, whatever work we do, including our job work, um, I think is really critical. And the other thing that I want to share is it struck me uh, recently that in creation, fruitfulness is always an expression of abundance. Like there's such a tree that's just barely alive, like just surviving. You do not expect that tree to have an abundant fall harvest. No one's going to be surprised if this thing's living in the middle of a drought that it doesn't produce much. No one's and and, and it's sitting in a field that wasn't tended this last season. Nobody's going to be shocked that this thing doesn't have a tree full of apples, oranges, peaches, whatever it's supposed to be, right? So it strikes me that for us too that if we would like our lives to be as productive as they might be, a practical question we can ask ourselves is, how am I learning to live in God-given abundance, like really enjoying God, really enjoying the life God's given me, really receiving the graces, all of the different ways God's wanting to be generous to me, so much so that my life is full to the point of overflowing, to the point of touching others generously. That takes a bit of time. And that takes a bit of intentionality. So I think maybe this brings us back around to just sort of where we began, which is to say, if we'd like to be productive, we've got to recognize some of the indirect ways in which we participate in that productivity, that God produces the fruit, even if we water or plant or whatever our human activities happen to be. Any last thoughts just in response to kind of the conversation that we've had, guys? I really like that last image, Alan, uh, that really spoke to me, that image of, of you know, the straggly tree out in the middle of nowhere that's an apple tree. It's like, no, duh. But yet thinking about the apple trees in an orchard and how they're together, how they're being cultivated, how they're growing in the ways that they're intended to grow. Uh, that's just a really powerful image. That's really, really good. That's great. Thanks, Jim. And that connects in, Jeb, to what you're saying about um, how God's work is invisible and, and hidden. 
you know, and so underneath the tree, there's, there's roots, there's roots going down to the streams of water and, you know, so it's really humbling yes, <laughs> to, to yes. just embrace that and to be a part of that. But it, it, but it does excite me to pay more attention to the God who is hidden, but also reveals to us through presence. I just, man, I'm ready. Let's, let's, let's go produce. Let's go, <laughs> let's go yeah. do something. Amen. Amen. Uh, well said, John. Well, it really is my hope that as you've listened to this episode, that maybe something that John or Jeb or I shared from our experiences of these things will intersect with you. And you'll sense some kind of next step God's inviting you to take. Just take a little one. Don't try something heroic. You know, plant a seed and then just water it day by day. See what it grows into. Again, our uh, conversation today has been productivity and our hurried souls John and Jeb, thanks so much for having this conversation with me. Oh, you're welcome, Alan. It's an honor. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be with you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. In the next few episodes, we'll be talking with authors Ashley Hales, Stephen Arterburn, and Sister Joan Chittister. We'll also have conversation with leaders like you about making space for God in our busy lives and unhurry as making time for what matters most. I can't wait to share those episodes with you. Now, if you'd like to receive more help from Unhurried Living, I invite you to join our Unhurried Daily email list. For 40 days, we'll send you a brief daily email that will help you take a step in following Jesus' unhurried way. You can sign up on our website at unhurriedliving.com. We're honored to encourage thousands of leaders just like you with resources like this. In closing, I hope our time together today has helped you envision a next step in your own journey of following the genius of Jesus' unhurried way of life and leadership. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Unhurried Living Podcast. Join me next time to learn more about following the genius of Jesus' unhurried way of life and leadership.